0: Good morning, church. Good morning. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. It's great to gather with you. My name is Damien Lacroix. I'm one of the elders here at Green Bay Community, and on behalf of uh, Troy and the staff, it's it's great to be with you here this morning. What a glorious day! And praying for rain and hoping it'll come later this afternoon. I uh, want to give a shout out to Dave Becker first of all for bringing Pastor Troy back safely. Let's give it up for Dave. great to have them back. Uh, you know, I was uh, listening to the All Sons and Daughters song, uh, He Has Called Us Higher, and just really reflecting on those lyrics, and it's interesting how the Holy Spirit works. Uh, I, I felt like the Holy Spirit said to me uh, as I was, had my eyes closed and just uh, meditating on the meaning of those words, leave your notes here. Do you really trust me, Damian, with this morning's message? And so if this is a great message, praise God. If this tanks, then blame me for being foolish and leaving my notes behind, <laughs> behind Drew there. So this is going to be fun. Uh, fasten your seatbelts. We're in for a ride here. Um, so 19 days ago, I'm on a plane uh, with Melissa, my wife, heading from Green Bay to Detroit to Providence, Rhode Island for a conference. And as we departed uh, Detroit on the way to Providence, uh, I said a little prayer, as I'm accustomed to do, uh, prior to departure. And, but, you know, it was a normal routine thing. We've kind of, you done the flight thing before, and it's kind of like you get in your car every morning, right, uh, as you leave your driveway. I don't know if you pray every day on the way to work, but we probably should, right? It's probably safer uh, in the airplane than it is on the car. But halfway through the flight from Detroit to Providence, uh, out the corner of my eye, I see this flash. I hear a boom, and the plane kind of rocks. I thought to myself well that's not quite normal and shortly after uh, stewardesses are coming down the alley or the aisle looking out the window and you know we were in the clouds and so i couldn't see the wing and then melissa says "Uh, i smell something hot like something's on fire and i'm like hmm okay um so the pilot comes on shortly thereafter so now you've got uh, a flash a boom a burning smell stewardess is looking out the window, huddling and whispering to each other in the aisles. And now the pilot comes on and says, "Uh, We've had an incident. Uh, uh, The the plane has been struck by lightning. And then there was this long, awkward, pregnant pause. And and he says, "Uh, But don't be alarmed. The plane is built to withstand that type of impact. I'm thinking to myself, Well, I wouldn't be alarmed had the plane not shaken and if people weren't scurrying about around me and if I didn't have this, this burning Smell in the aisles. So our kids are hearing this for the first time. So they're probably delighting in this story. Probably should have taken separate flights. Um, so then he then he says, "Well, we've been on. We've we've been in touch with with uh, maintenance uh, on the ground, and we're trying to determine whether we need to land the plane for inspection and repair, or whether we can con- continue on to Providence." And you know, in that moment, you're like, "You have to ask the question: Could this be it? Right? You no? could this be the end? Uh, are we?" Or is this imminent death? And if it is, what is my reaction to that? Well, uh, i tell you the rest of the story. The plane was okay. We landed in Providence. And then we went about our business. And that's probably the issue that, that Solomon wants to, that is the issue that Solomon wants to address with us today in Ecclesiastes 7. You see, we're dealing with uh, the wisest man who ever lived, right? And he's taking us through this critical essay on the meaning of life. The search for meaning in life. Now, if he's the wisest man who ever lived, I think, at least my perspective is, we ought to take note of what he has to say about the meaning of life. And so we're getting kind of this stream of consciousness on the part of Solomon, this reflective journey that he's been on, and he's telling us about what he's tried and what he's tasted and what he's tested, right? And he says, in the end, everything under the sun is you guys got it. It's, it's meaningless or it's vanity, right? That's, you know, one of the reoccurring themes uh, of this book. We see uh, Solomon chronicling his life's experiences. And I think it's important for you and for me to understand what he means by that because that's so essential to our understanding of the book. First of all, meaning the word uh, vanity has really three, three meanings here for Solomon. The first meaning is that life is a vapor, right? It's short. Do you know that to be true? My baby girl just turned 13 last week, so now we've got a 13, 14, 15, and 17-year-old at home. Please pray for us. (laughs) Uh, But I'm like, what happened, right? I just remember holding her in my arms at the hospital and washing her, and now she's a a teenager. So uh, I sometimes say when I'm at work that the days are long, but life is short. And you know that to be true if you've taken note of, of the ebb and the flow of life and how quickly it really goes. Uh, The the second uh, way that Solomon uses uh, vanity is that uh, there's a senselessness or a meaninglessness to life, right? And think about the headline from two days ago. The Green Bay man, the 43-year-old who got in a high-speed chase up in Marinette County. Did Did you follow that in the news? He's shooting at people as he's going down the highway, randomly, before he commits an act of suicide and takes his own life. Now, how do you make sense of that? Yeah, you know, that just doesn't add up, and so we're living in this fallen, sinful world, and it has this destructive influence on how God designed or intended us to live. And so Solomon is talking about that. There's a certain there's a certain aspect of life that's 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 meaningless and hard to, hard to fathom. And then the the third way he uses the word vanity, and probably the most commonly uh, used form of it within Ecclesiastes, is that there's something about life that's really Kind of a mystery right that's there's certain things about life despite all the wisdom that we might acquire that we'll never totally figure out even Solomon said there were certain things he was incapable of understanding for example belly button lint where did that come from I mean what what's God's design or plan for that it's kind of like you on know, your dryer okay makes no sense uh, making light of the situation obviously but uh, just as an aside Adam and Eve probably didn't have that problem because they didn't have belly buttons. Okay, I just lost about 10% of you who are going to think about that for the rest of the service, but okay, so you've got, you know, you've got this aspect of life that is hard for us to really understand, and so we're in this search for meaning, and we need wisdom to help us understand, and we're working toward a conclusion. We're seven chapters into a 12-chapter book, and the conclusion that we're working toward is really to to simplify and break it down, is that On the one hand, we've got these divine blessings that God has given us, right? You know that to be true. We've got, you know, Solomon talks about uh, eating and drinking and the work that God's given us and be content uh, with those things that he's provided us with. And then there's this tension on understanding that there's this divine judgment. So we've got divine blessings on one hand and this divine judgment that we are to prepare ourselves for. And that's really something that you're going to hear more about in the coming chapters. And so Prior to that divine judgment, where we're all going to stand in front of our Creator and give an account for our life, there is going to be this episode in our life. And there's a 100% statistical probability that it's going to happen. It's called death, right? And most of us, if we're... Well, I won't say that. I'll just say most of us probably have not thought a lot about death in its relationship to life. We're so busy thinking about the everyday ebb and flow of life, that we really don't take enough time to stop and pause and consider what is this all about. And if we really want to understand life, we're not going to be able to totally appreciate the meaning of life without also contemplating death. Death, And so all of us are inflicted with this disease, and we're all dying from the same disease. Did you know that? The disease is called sin. And Romans tells us that the wages of sin is death, and that's the bad news. Under the sun, we're all going to die, and if we don't know our creator, we are doomed to a life of eternal separation. And yet, there's this beautiful antidote, this cure that's free, that God provides to us, and that's what we're going to talk about today as we move into the service. So, fasten your seatbelts, glad you're here, let's get started. I've got a $10 gift card to La Java okay, uh, for the first person that can accurately identify a picture I'm going to you, show you. you should be pretty easy. It's a, a picture of a gentleman uh, who was the Donald Trump of his day, Okay, had arguably as much influence, power, status, wealth, prestige as anyone in modern history. Okay, And so are you ready for this? Get ready. I'm going to show you the picture right now. Should be really easy. What are you waiting for? <laughs> Nobody wants the La Java gift card? Mark and Catherine, by the way, at La Java, the owners, are so good to the church, such great partners, and they provide, they provide the coffee out here every, every Sunday. So uh, I want to support them in just a small way. But I'd like to give the gift card out. <laughs> no? Good, good try, Drew. Pardon? Okay, well, I need a name, Ed. You can't just <laughs> give me random, loose. Come on. Yes, in the back. You can't raise your hand and then shake your mom next to you. And Anybody? Yeah. J.P. Morgan. Mr. Johnson, that was an excellent guest, but not Rockefeller, another good guess. It's not it. Can't believe you guys don't know this. Yes? One more time? No? Good guess. Okay, I'll give you a hint. This is when he lived. He'll be talking about the dash today. So now this should easily narrow it down for you. You guys are wasting valuable time here. I need to keep moving. Yes? Yes, sir. Way to go. How'd you know that? How'd you know that? What's that? How'd you know that? We agreed. We talked about it. Oh, sure. Okay. Called a friend, a lifeline. So Cornelius Vanderbilt II. His grandfather gave him $5 bucks. His dad gave him $70 million. They made their fortune in the 20th century on shipping and um, the railroad business. He built the largest uh, house ever in New York City on Fifth Avenue. It was uh, a full square block, 130 rooms. Uh, Had a summer cottage in Providence. That's why I'm telling you this. We got to uh, Rhode Island, and it's actually down on Newport. Lifestyles of the rich and famous were able to go down and uh, see his summer cottage. Uh, Let's take a look at it now. Uh, It's a cottage. Uh, That's what they call it in Newport. Uh, The modern-day equivalent to build this would be $150 million. Cost $7 million to build between 1893 and 1895. 2,000 laborers worked nonstop around the clock, uh, brought in um, materials from all over the world, uh, support staff from all over the world. Uh, Vanderbilt's wife was competing with her sister-in-law to see who could build the biggest mansion um, within Newport. So you see shades or elements of what we've been talking about as we've been going through Ecclesiastes. This is the 50 by 50 by 50 uh, uh, party room. They would slide down th- that stairs on some trays just for fun. And uh, so it was very interesting. We were taking this audio-guided tour through the mansion. You'd go into one room, and they'd tell you about it, and you'd go into the next room, and so, so on and so forth. They had 33 rooms for the support staff, by the way, out of the 70 rooms in the house, which gives you some sense for how much uh, energy and, and resources it took to run this place. And... Uh, and yet there was, uh, when I got to the second floor, when I got into Vanderbilt's room, uh, I was looking for something that gave some indicator of an awareness of life beyond the here and now. Uh, there were all these self-portraits in the house and the mansion, and all these busts of themselves within the mansion. I was looking for some clue about, uh, some inkling about the eternal. I was looking for a, a Bible or a quote or, or something, and I, unless I didn't see it, I I I couldn't find any evidence of that. And then I was in Vanderbilt's room, and the audio uh, narrator said, and within a year after building the mansion, Vanderbilt suffered a stroke, and within two years, he ends up dying. And within 50 years, uh, the place gets handed over, or within 75 years, it gets handed over to the Preservation Society of Rhode Island because they could not sustain uh, the magnitude of what it took uh, to build this place. And I couldn't help but to, to think about some of the lessons that we've been, we've been going through. And, you know, Jesus says, uh, do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Rather, store up for yourself treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there so also is your heart. Uh, according to Jesus. And he goes on to say, what good does it do for a man to gain the whole world and to forfeit his soul? And then he asked this really powerful question, Jesus I'm referring to. He said, uh, for what would you exchange uh, for your soul? In other words, what would you trade in exchange for your soul? Is there anything that you have or that I have that would be with, worth it and, Should have shown you this first. You can't do a trip like this without a corny selfie that we send to the kids because we know it annoys them. So, um, (laughs) did that. So, so this is the the serious quote that I wanted you just to take a moment to look at. And I don't want you to think that I'm saying that wealth is bad. In fact, if you go into the middle of Ecclesiastes 7, you'll actually see where Solomon says, wealth and wisdom are actually good things. It is this reckless obsession uh, with the pursuit of wealth, the love of money that is the root of all evil. And in the case of, of uh, Vanderbilt, he had—he was a workaholic. He had this obsession with his work. Uh, he had this obsession with architecture. And I can't help but to wonder to what extent did that draw him away from a relationship with God. And ultimately only God knows. And I'm not suggesting that the money was bad, but um, it seemed like there was There was a misappropriation of of his focus. So let's get into chapter 7. If you have your Bibles, I would encourage you to open up to this passage. I'm going to bookend uh, chapter 7. I'm going to take you through the first four verses, and then I'm going to take you through the last verse, uh, verse 29. And in between, there's lots of good stuff that I can't unpack today, but I would encourage you to go online and look at the questions we have on Facebook uh, in the church, and really use the coming week to take a deeper dive in this chapter and to prepare yourself also uh, for chapter 8. So we need to understand, uh, if we want to really uh, contemplate accurately the meaning of life, we need to have an accurate definition of terms. First term I want to unpack a little bit more for you is the, the term wisdom right at the top. That's what this uh, chapter is about, wisdom for life. The word wisdom comes from the Hebrew word hokama. And what it refers to is skill gained through a life of instruction and discipline and practice leading to a worthwhile or excellent life. I'll say that again. The word wisdom refers to skill that you acquire or gain. That's the good news. We can acquire or gain it. That's what Solomon is talking about here. Through a life of instruction, it can be taught it, discipline, Requires some focus, practice. You have to live it out on a regular basis. That leads to a life that's worthy and excellent. And so as we gain this wisdom for life, it leads to a good reputation. And a good reputation or your name is something that people associate uh, you with. So between the day that you're born and the day that you die, you live a life that contributes to a good reputation, which Solomon says is more valuable than costly Perfume. So I want to just test that for a second. I want to to throw some names or some reputations out to see if that holds water. First name that I'll throw out to you is George Washington. How does that resonate for you? Skill gained through a a life of instruction and discipline and practice leading to excellence. I think most of us would agree with that. Okay, let's try this one. Uh, Lady Gaga. What are you laughing about? Did I say something funny? I don't know. Think about that. What is the reputation of Lady Gaga? Uh, think about this one. Uh, Nelson Mandela. Okay, skill gained through a life of instruction, discipline, and practice. Or Mother Teresa. Okay. What about this name? Charles Manson. Not so much, right? So there's a lot to be said here in terms of the manner in which we live our lives between the day that we're born and the day we're dying and how that contributes to our reputation and this lifestyle of excellence. In our house, we have something we call the LaCroix Way. It's based on Colossians 3.23. I'm not sharing it with you because we've got it all figured out or we're living a perfect life. Far from it. But we're working on it. And one of the ways we do that is we talk periodically about the LaCroix Way. The LaCroix Way is doing everything with excellence to honor God. That's what we want to do. Whether it's me preparing for this message today or uh, the kids going to school or Melissa, you know, all of us have to have to kind of interpret that that statement through a lens. And, and really what it does is it gives us a spiritual center and hopefully a God-honoring way of living our lives as we think about, am I doing everything with excellence to honor God? And so I wanna, I really want to encourage you to, to think about this over the course of the next week in terms of what is your reputation? What is your name? When people hear your name, what comes to mind? All right? And then Solomon goes on uh, to say... And before I I, I mention this, I want you to know that as Christians, we take the name of Christ, right? So it's really important that we take that responsibility seriously. We're in the back of the plane, and there were some guys going to uh, a national football. um, It was touch football, the the national competition. And one of the guys uh, made some comment about, we're going to evangelize. And the the stewardess said, do you mean that? Do you mean what you just said? Because I love the Lord. I thought I shook her hand when I got off the plane because in that moment... These guys seemingly were mocking the importance of evangelism and just out of the blue she stepped in and said, are you really serious when you say that you're going to share the love of the Lord and evangelize because I love the Lord and I thought, wow, good for you to have the courage to step in and really uh, check these guys and question them. So uh, follow me now here, a good reputation is more valuable than costly perfume and the day you die is better than the day you were born. He's not saying the day you were born is bad, he's contrasting one thing versus another. Eight times throughout chapter 7, he uses the, the, word, the, the words, it is better than, it is better than, it is better than. So he's saying it's better to focus on uh, the day that you die than the day you were born. It's better to spend your time at funerals than at parties. Anyone been to a funeral lately? Nobody will admit it, a couple of people. Anybody been to a party lately? Come on, raise your hands, we've all been to a party lately. He's not saying parties are bad, he's just saying one is better than the other. After all, everyone dies... So the living should take this to heart. When the wisest man makes a statement like that, I think we should pause and reflect on it. The living should take this to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter, for sadness has a refining influence on us. Have you ever had the experience of really being in a sorrowful state where you just bawled your eyes out, cried your eyes out? And then how did you feel after? Did you feel the sense of relief like this weight had been lifted? I think sometimes as Christians, we we think we have to have this happy face all the time. And Solomon is saying, no, part of life, in fact, an important part of life is realizing that there are going to be perhaps seasons of depression. There's There's going to be seasons of sorrow. We're not always going to be happy. And God is going to use those times to refine us and to make us more like him. Finally, he says, a wise person thinks a lot about death. While a fool thinks only about having a good time. Can I illustrate the point for you with a short story? It comes from Dr. Richard Swenson's book. He's a former family physician who now lives in Menominee, Wisconsin. Uh, he's a Christian. Uh, he's a speaker, uh, an author, and a futurist. He's got this great little book. It's called A Minute of Margin. It's a daily devotional. It's one of my favorites. And I'm going to share, you the, share with you the first devotional in his book. It's titled One September Morning on the 103rd Floor. All of you, I think, or most of you will be able to relate to this. It goes like this. The skies were partly cloudy. The temperature was 68 degrees. The wind was out of the west at 10 miles per hour. A beautiful day. At 8.45 a.m., people working on the 103rd floor were pouring their coffee, morning coffee, straightening their desks, reviewing their Tuesday appointments, bantering with office mates, glancing at the harbor. One minute later, none of that mattered. Twenty floors below, a a 757 transected the building, leaving the 103rd cut off, trapped, hopeless, but not yet dead. When you have ten minutes to live, what are your thoughts? What is important in the last seconds? As a tribute to those nameless faces staring down at us from the smoky inferno, can we stop what we are doing long enough to listen to them? Seeing death from this perspective is not morbid, On the contrary, it can help us to see life. Those who found phones called, not their stockbrokers to check the last ticker, not their hairstylists to cancel the afternoon's appointment, not even their insurance agents to check coverage levels. They called their spouses to say, I love you, one last time. Children to say, you are precious, one last time. Parents to say, thank you, one last time. Through tears they called best friends, neighbors, pastors, and priests, and rabbis. I just called you to know what you mean to me. I just want you to know what you mean to me. And surely those standing on the brink of another world thought of God, of truth and eternity, judgment and redemption, grace and the gospel. Imminent death has a commanding power to straighten life's priorities with a jolt. Kind of like having your airplane hit with lightning. At such dramatic moments, people suddenly realize that priorities matter. Tragically, however, chronic overloading obscures this truth. How we live influences how we die. And misplaced busyness leads to terminal regrets. If we don't move to establish and then guard that which matters most, the breathless pace of daily overload will blind us to eternal priorities until one day we too stand at such a window and look down Perhaps with regret. So, my friends at Schaefer and Martin brought over this 800 pound tombstone. I don't know the, the name of the gentleman on there, um, someone that seemingly passed away uh, recently. But on the tombstone, you've got the date of birth, right? and the date of death, maybe the only two dates in which your name will ever appear in the newspaper, if you're lucky. Sorry, Scott. Um, and so what's significant is not so much the birth date and the death date as much as the dash in between the two dates, because the dash in the middle represents how you spent your life. Okay, with what degree of wisdom, godly wisdom, did you use the time and the talent and the resources that have been entrusted to your care as a steward? So here's some corny headstones just to kind of bring a little bit of levity to the discussion. Here lies good old Fred. A great big rock fell on his head. Out of all the things you could put on your tombstone, is that what you wanted to say? I'm not sure. Maybe that's okay. I don't think it is, but here's another interesting one. Jonathan Blake stepped on the gas instead of the brake. Again, um, has anyone walked through a cemetery lately? There's this sobering effect in a good in a good way that that experience will have on you. Okay? And if you're worried about uh, the circumstances of life and, and the little things you feel like are overwhelming you, that's a great exercise just to reconnect with the living God who offers us an incredible promise. And so I want to challenge you to think about the dash on the tombstone. There's a great poem that goes like this, and forgive me if I just read this to you, but Um, I think you'll like it if you haven't heard it before. I read of a man who stood to speak at the funeral of a friend. He referenced, he referred to the dates on her casket from beginning to the end. He noted that first came the date of her birth and spoke of the following date with tears. But he said what mattered most of all was the dash between those years. For that dash represents all the time that she spent alive on earth. And now only those who loved her know what that little line is worth. For it matters not how much we own, the cars, the house, the cash. Think about Solomon and what you've been learning. What matters is how we live and love and how we spend our dash. So think about this long and hard. Are there things you would like to change? For you never know how much time is left that can still be rearranged. If we could just slow down enough to consider what is true and real and always try to understand the way other people feel and be less quick to anger and show appreciation more and love the people in our lives like we have never loved before. If we treat each other with respect and more often wear a smile, remembering that this special dash might only last a little while. So when your eulogy is being read and your life's actions to rehash, would you be proud of the things they say about how you spent your dash? So that's really your assignment for the week is to contemplate uh, the vanity of life under the sun, and ask uh, to what extent you are properly stewarding uh, the time and the talent and the resources that you've been entrusted with. So here the big questions are that I, that I want to uh, share with you in addition to that assignment. Let's look at the, the middle question for a moment. Can you answer life's biggest questions? I would argue that if you can answer these questions, you're on your way to spending your dash wisely. The big questions in life, and Troy alluded to them before, that he was thinking about in the wilderness are, who am I? Why am I here? Where did I come from? And perhaps most important, what happens to me when I die? Who am I? Why am I here? Where did I come from and what happens to me when I die? If you can frame life and begin with the end in mind and then organize the way you use your time, energy, and resources backward from that, you will be on your way to living uh, a wiser life, the type of life that Solomon is referring to here in chapter 7. And then finally, if you had to sum your life up in one statement, what would you want it to say? The tragedy of life is that we spend more time writing out our grocery store list than we do thinking about things like this that really truly matter. And this is an opportunity today for us to step back and say, hey, I need to be more purposeful in my living, more intentional about these things. So Martin Luther King has an interesting epitaph. You all, or most of you, will identify with that. In a relatively short life. He had this this understanding that he was going to die. Actually, one of his last major speeches, he talked about not getting to the promised land because you know his belief was he w- he was going to be assassinated, and sure enough, that happened. So. We come to the end of the chapter, um, which is uh, Ecclesiastes 7.29, and uh, this is really interesting to me. Again, the wisest man that ever lived, I think we ought to to take note of this. Here's what I have figured out. God made humanity for good, but we humans go out and scheme our way into trouble, and that's because of this terminal disease that we've all contracted called sin. Just an illustration of this, Bernie Madoff, his picture is up there. It really could be any one of us up there, but... I use his picture to dramatize the point. If you haven't really followed the Bernie Madoff Ponzi scheme, I would encourage you to check that out. It's really tragic. It was the biggest accounting uh, crime in U.S. history. Uh, He was sentenced to 150 years in prison for scheming people out of uh, billions of dollars. Uh, He has restitution of, of close to $20 billion. His son committed suicide. A lot of his family members worked for him, some of which went to jail. And it was all in pursuit of... Of wood, hay, and stubble uh, from an eternal perspective Uh, because his perspective was in the here and now. It was about what he could get here and now. And the people that invested, not that investment is bad, but I think they wanted uh, some of what he promised in regard to that. Okay, this is a a short video from Francis Chan. Um, Troy has kind of talked about this a little bit in the past, but I want to want to go through it one more time. Pardon me. And uh, just four minutes long. We're drawing to a close here. You ready, Danny? You're shaking your head like...
1: I can't think of a better way to, to explain it. Um, I actually didn't use a rope back then. I used a... Remember, a, remember computer paper when uh, it was all stuck together and it had the holes on the side that you had to peel off? Remember that? I remember getting a, a roll. And some of you guys have no idea what I'm talking about, which is crazy to me. But... Uh, because that was the best, you know? And, um, and it never worked right because of the rolling things. But uh, but I, I, had, I remember being a youth pastor and I put uh, that computer paper all the way around the room. And, uh, but I'm going to use a rope now because I can't find that computer paper. Um, imagine this rope. Okay, pretend this rope just goes on forever. Okay? Just imagination. Pretend it goes around the world a few times. It does not it ends at the rock. But... Uh, Let's just imagine this thing goes on forever. Now, imagine that this rope is a timeline of your existence. You just exist forever. You see this red part? This would represent your time on Earth. You've got a few short years here on Earth and then you've got all of eternity somewhere else. This is, this is your existence. And what blows me away is some of you, all you think about is this red part. It's all you think about, you're consumed with this. You go, oh man, I can't wait till here. You know, what, I'm gonna work hard, I'm gonna save, 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 so I can really enjoy this part right here. And you're consumed with that. And you're thinking, oh man, I'm gonna get to travel. Am I gonna eat well? Am I gonna do this during this part? And I'm like, are you kidding me? What about this? What about this? What about that? What about all this stuff? It's just, it's crazy to me because the Bible teaches that what I do during this little red part determines how I'm gonna exist for millions and millions and millions of years forever. And, and so why would I spend this little red part trying to make myself as comfortable as possible, enjoying myself as much as I can? Paul says, look, I'm going to live my life for this mission. I'm going to spend my life, invest my life for this moment when I cross that finish line. See, I'm going to forget about all this stuff I could enjoy. I'm not going to look around. I'm going to be like a runner just looking at that moment when I face God because when I face Him, then I don't get this chance over again. We get one chance at this life on earth, and it can end at any second for any of us. We've got one chance at this, and then comes eternity. And I'm not going to be fooled. I'm not going to spend my life down here. See, people look at some of my decisions and go, Oh, you're so stupid because that's going to really affect this. I go, no, you're stupid, because it's going to affect all of this. <laughs> Man, I, I, I'm serious. I, I, look, I look at the way people live and I go, wow, that is so crazy. You are so crazy. You're going to you're going to do that right now. Just to enjoy right now. Not even knowing if you have tomorrow and you think that's smart and that I'm dumb. It doesn't make any sense. Paul goes, I'm not gonna look around at all this stuff. And it's tempting, it's tempting to all of us. That's what I'm saying, down here it's crazy because everyone lives that way. Everyone lives for the red part. No one's thinking about the millions of years afterwards. It's, it's just this crazy deception that we can't get out of our minds. And Paul goes, I'm not doing that. He goes, I keep my eyes on that. I keep my eyes on that finish line and I'm gonna forget what's behind me. I'm not looking around. I'm just gonna, I'm straining. Because I'm straining forward. I'm like stretching forward for that mark. I'm going to pass this thing. I'm going to live this out, and I'm going to face him. I'm going to come before the judges, and he's going to hand me that trophy. He goes, I'm going to get in. I haven't gotten there yet. He goes, but I, you better believe I'm using every muscle exerting every bit about me because I'm going to pass that line well.
0: So I don't know about you, but in the interest of full disclosure, I need to watch that about once a week maybe even once a day. I've seen that about 25 times and every time I'm just like, I need that reminder. I need that reminder. So let me close with a story and a short verse. Uh, Melissa's grandpa, Hiram, uh, recently died. He died on Good Friday Eve and uh, over the last 18 months he was was housed at the Veterans Home uh, in King, Wisconsin, near Waupaca, And um, He's in the foreground here, obviously. And uh, Melissa's grandmother, who's 94, is in the background. And they had adjoining ro- rooms at the Veterans Home. And we would go over quite often on Sundays after church. And some of you have probably read the book, Tuesdays with Maury. This was like Sundays with Hiram. And so you had this 92-year-old man really reflecting on the, lo- on the purpose of life. And look at to his left on the wall there. That's all he had. He had pictures. Okay? He had a watch and a hat. And he had the relationship of his family. In the end, that's all he had. And the most important thing to him was his, his family and his faith. And he talked often about God, even as, as he wondered out loud, with some fear at some points, honestly, about how had he lived so long and why had God allowed him uh, to have such a lengthy life. As a World War II vet, he thought about his comrades that were killed in Italy when he served there. And I couldn't help but to wonder, quite often as Melissa and I walked out of uh, the Veterans Home, gosh, there's a lesson here for us. This isn't about your grandpa as much as it is about us. And we prayed with him, right? And we prayed for him that he would accept Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. Uh, and, you know, we shared Scripture, and we had some great moments, but really we were the beneficiaries because it allowed us uh, to step into his shoes and see at the end that really there's not much that, that matters. And only what is, what is true truth? True truth is is Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior. And then some relations, uh, relationships here on earth. Loving God and loving others. That's kind of what it boils down to, as Jesus tells us in Matthew. And so this was a beautiful time. We got a call on Good Friday Eve. Uh, it's, uh, we were told that Grandpa is close to the end. We rushed over. Within a half hour, he passed away right in front of our eyes. And it was just this beautiful pain as we watched Lily grabbed his hand. He was taking his final breaths of life, these deep you know, heaves that, that one has as, as they're, they're, they're nearing the end. Uh, Lily kissed him on the cheek, grabbed his hand, and said, I love, you. I love you, Dad. And then he was gone. And we sat there for an hour and just we cried and we prayed and um, we reminisced. And so it was beautiful, and there was an Ill, it was a beautiful lesson uh, for us. And so I hope it's a lesson for you, not only this story, but uh, the story that Solomon is telling us uh, in the end here. And so I close with this as we go to communion. Jesus is called to Bethany by Martha and Mary. Lazarus is sick, and then Lazarus eventually dies. And Jesus purposely delays his going there because he wants to reveal his glory in bringing Lazarus back from the dead. And even though his disciples essentially tell him, what are you doing? You're almost stoned the last time you were in Bethany. Why would you go back? Uh, Jesus takes them back. You know, Thomas, I love his reaction. He says, well, we may as well go and die with Lazarus then. Uh, so if you get into John 11, you can, you can read this in detail. But upon approaching Bethany, uh, Martha rushes out to meet Jesus and says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And, but even now, I believe that God will give you whatever you ask for. And Jesus says that he will rise again. And Martha doesn't understand. She says, I know, Lord, that he'll rise again. Uh, in the resurrection at the last day, and Jesus says, no, he's going to raise today. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies, and everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. And here's the question that Martha needed to ask or answer, excuse me, that I need to answer and that you need to answer today. Do I believe this? Do I know that I know that I know that I know in my heart of hearts that Jesus Christ is my Lord And my Savior. Jesus goes on. She answers affirmatively. And Jesus goes on to raise Lazarus from the dead. And the same power that was there in Christ raising Lazarus from the dead 2,000 years ago is the same power that's here today. And the Holy Spirit can bring you from death to life right here, right now, in this place if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. So maybe you've been going through the motions of life, but you haven't thought about the meaning of life. And maybe you've never approached the cross As a Christ follower, this is your opportunity today. And you're not guaranteed tomorrow. And so I challenge you and encourage you to think purposefully and seriously about that. Maybe you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, but you've gotten caught up on the treadmill of life. And you're so busy that you don't know whether you're coming or going, and your relationship with Christ is suffering as a result. This is an opportunity for you uh, to renew that commitment at the cross here today. And maybe you've been close to Jesus as our Lord and Savior. You recognize that your dash is a representation of your life lived in him, through him, and for him. And so, if you're there, hallelujah. Give thanks to God for not losing your focus. Father, we need you. We love you. Uh, I just ask that, that uh, wherever uh, those who are seated here today are at on that spectrum, Lord, that by the power of your spirit and the truth of your word, you would move their hearts, Lord, and that they would respond uh, in a life-saving way, uh, Father God. Uh, Thank you for Jesus. Thank you that he came, he lived, uh, he died, and on the third day he rolled back that stone, Lord, uh, so that those who believe in him could accept by grace through faith the free gift, the antidote, the cure to our disease, Lord, uh, for eternal life. So I just pray uh, the movement of your spirit here now. We love you. Uh, We ask all these things in the life-saving name of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ.